0: Today we'd like to consider a wonderful, victorious psalm. It's Psalm 91, and I see that you found a bulletin that fits right along with that. A great psalm of protection. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, the bird catcher, and from the poisonous disease. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the disease that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand but it shall not come close to you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked ones. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, the Most High your habitation, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come close to your dwelling. Because he shall give his angels charge over you, To keep you in your ways, they shall carry you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon you shall trample under feet. Because he has set his love on me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This certainly is a great psalm of victory, a psalm of security, For God's people. Notice it talks at the beginning about he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Now what might that mean? Well, among other things, I believe it certainly means the person who lives in close and constant fellowship with God. God will be his security. God will be his deliverance. God will be his salvation. Notice God is referred to as the Most High. One of the songs we sang dealt with him being the Ancient of Days. The Bible speaks of him as the Eternal God. We have a friend that she often refers to God as the Most High. It's good to remember that God is totally the Most High. He's in charge. He has the power. He has the love. He has the wisdom to deal with all things. You know, it's speaking here in this psalm to those who dwell in the shadow of the Most High, in the secret place of the Most High. They live there. As I said, it's a constant, ongoing thing those who live in fellowship with God, moment by moment, throughout their lives. It seems this Psalm is particularly directed to those who have that kind of relationship with God. May it be each of us that we walk in fellowship with God, that we live in his presence and under his shadow, shadow of the most high God of all. Recently, we received a decision magazine, Billy Graham's. And there's an article by his son, Franklin, and this is highlighted in the article, which you see how it fits in with verses one and two. The redeemed follower of Christ can always find safety by taking refuge in the shadow of the Almighty who promises to protect and provide for his blood-bought people. That's quite a statement, isn't it? So important, I'd like to reread it. The redeemed follower of Christ, that is those who believe in him, he's God, he died for our sins, he rose from the dead. The redeemed follower of Christ can find always safety by taking refuge in the shadow of the Almighty, who promises to protect and provide for his blood-bought people. We find him referred to as the Most High back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, we find these words. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, Possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So even way back there, and toward the beginning of Genesis, God is called the Most High God. There is none higher. <laughs> He's eternal. He has all power. He's in charge. He is judge. And so we need to truly trust him and abide in, dwell in, constantly have fellowship with him and walk with him day by day. Notice he's called a refuge in a fortress. He's called my God, not just a God way out there someplace like the deists might have believed years ago, but my God personally, and that's what counts, is it not? Is he your God? Is he my God? The psalmist said, he's my God. And hopefully we will all say that from our hearts to the Lord, God Almighty, the Ancient of Days, the Most High God. You see, with a fortress and with a refuge, we have protection. But the important thing is that he's my God and, very important, In him, I will trust. If we didn't trust in him, we'd be like anchorless, drifting here and there. We could be very afraid because there are many things to fear in this life. We could leave very fearfully in all things, but instead, he's my God, And I will trust in him. Is this true even during a pandemic? Is this true during various vicissitudes, changes in life? Is this true always with us? If we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, it can be and we can have the security and promise of this psalm. In him I will trust. I think the older I get, the more I realize how critical it is that we trust in God, that we depend on God, that we rely on Him. As you're relying on the pews to hold you up, so we must rely on God to hold us up, to protect us, to meet our needs, to be with us at all time, and through Christ to forgive us our sins. Then beginning in verse 3, back in Psalm 91, we have a great section here of protection, especially going through verse 13. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the bird catcher, the trap that the bird catcher lays, and from the poisonous disease, all these bad things, surely he'll deliver you from that he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall trust think of the little chick securely taken care of under the wings of the mother hen so God is to us he takes care of us he protects us he warms us he helps us in all ways. and under his wings we shall trust there's that again This matter of faith in God. You can think of God as keeping you in that way. And I like what it ends in verse 4. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. His truth. I noticed the last song we sang it dealt with, God's truth. It keeps on and on. God's truth is really true. But in the world today we have many things that are really not true and yet they claim to be truth. Perhaps you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to them who call evil good and good evil goes on that call put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Unfortunately, I believe we live in an age and time where this is becoming increasingly true. People are putting good for evil and evil for good. What God says is wrong, people are saying, and society are saying, it's right, it's okay, it's moral, it's just. What is really darkness, they are calling light. And what is really light, they are calling darkness. And so we live in a very difficult age, an age in which God's people need to distinguish truth from error, lies from what is correct, that we not be swept away with substituting evil for good and vice versa, that we recognize what is morally right and what is absolute truth. We are to be girded about, cinched about as a belt with truth. We find that in Ephesians chapter 6, part of the panoply, the all armor of God. There is a truth That is the truth of the Lord, and we find it revealed in the Scripture. You see, we have fallen natures. We need that revelation. Otherwise, we'd be swept along with error, and we could very easily begin calling what is bad good and vice versa. So we're warned against that, and God gives us his word and his spirit to help us understand what is actually true. And what is not so. Back to Psalm 90. Verse 5 You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the disease that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. We don't need to be afraid we can trust God even during the pandemic. Now that doesn't mean it isn't wise to take vaccinations. It's a little bit like blaming God then if we get sick and we don't take the vaccination. We say, we're trusting in you. Maybe he'll respond and say, well, I was trying to help you and you refuse to take it. There are many today that are doing that, but I think that's a foolish thing to do personally. At any rate, there's a protection here, which God promises to us. And I think he can do it that way and in other ways as well. But sometimes people then come to the conclusion, okay, I'm a Christian, I trust God. And perhaps some of the verses of this psalm then they'll point to and say, therefore, I'm not ever going to get sick. When I was beginning in the ministry, when I was on the staff at First Baptist Church of Fullerton, California, one of our members, and I shared this with you one other time, Joe came to me one day, and he shared with me that he was never going to get sick again, that he had that kind of faith. And I tried to help him realize that Christians do get sick. (laughs) In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I left Trophimus sick at Miletum. So here was the apostle Paul whom God used to heal people and he left a fellow disciple sick. <laughs> also in the book of Philippians chapter 2, the latter part of the chapter, it talks about a very earnest, hardworking Christian by the name of Epaphroditus. In fact, Paul said he got so sick working so hard for the Lord that he almost died, but that God had mercy on him and and he healed him. And there's another place that's quite interesting, the last part of chapter 9 of the book of Acts. There was an outstanding lady named Dorcas, also called Tabitha. She was full of charity and good deeds, and she did a lot of sewing and had clothes that she could give people. She was much loved. Well, here we have this outstanding disciple of the Lord, Tabitha. Guess what happened? It tells us there that she got sick. (laughs) Not only that, it says she died. (laughs) So good Christians do get sick. Good Christians die. (laughs) Now, in that case, thank God, Peter came along and God used him and he raised her from the dead, (laughs) Not with a glorified body, but with the same old body like Lazarus had been raised. She would later have to die. But the point is, here's a good Christian lady, full of deeds of kindness, giving her life for others, serving Jesus, and she got sick and then she died. (laughs) So this whole concept that, therefore, like my friend Joe was trying to tell me he was never going to get sick. He had that kind of faith. I didn't have it. <laughs> I was very interesting. It was about, I think, three weeks later, Joe got the flu, and I didn't hear any more about never getting sick again. <laughs> yes, Christians do get sick. <laughs> and yet there's a promise here and a protection that we need to look to God for. And it goes on to say in verse 7, A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come close to you. Interestingly enough, I think of a person that exemplifies the fulfillment of that. It's found in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 15, verse 15. It's talking about Samson he found a new jawbone of a donkey, put out his hand and he took it, and he slew a thousand men with it. (laughs) Well, so here's a fulfillment of that kind of thing. It had not yet been written, but it had happened here in the life of Samson. God had given him supernatural strength, and God was protecting him and helping him. Unfortunately, It doesn't seem like when you read about Samson that he dwelt in the secret place of the Most High like he should have. (laughs) He had his problems. But again, it shows how much grace God can give to us who fail in so many ways. Thousands shall fall at your right hand. It will not come close to you. Then we go back to Psalm 90 further. Verse 8, only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. (laughs) God is a God of love, but also he's a God of justice. Sin must be punished. Justice must be upheld. Many people today, they rule out that aspect of God, his judgment. They make him a big Santa Claus. All he ever does is give us gifts and help us and love us. And in a sense that's right, but the other is also right. He's not only a God of justice and righteousness, he's a God of love. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he satisfied the demands of justice when he died on the cross. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. That's their reward. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6. Because you have made the Lord, the Jehovah, who is my refuge, notice refuge again, even the Most High, notice that again, God is Most High, referred to as such again, your habitation, And it talks about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. He's become our habitat. We live in his presence. Because of that, no evil shall befall you, neither shall any plague come close to your dwelling. Because he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, they shall carry you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's quite a promise. The Bible teaches the reality of angels and angelic protection. Psalm 34:7 talks about the angel of the Lord camps round about those who fear him, and he delivers them. And there are different Christians at various times give witness to what they believe has been angelic deliverance in their lives. I mentioned this once before. One of our leading men in the church in Placerville came to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and he witnessed that he believed that God had saved him from an accident by an angel coming down from Camino to, to Placerville. I think I mentioned to you about my sister-in-law that's, for about 11 and a half years, she's had a terrible stroke and been in a facility that takes care of people but sometimes she talks in her ununderstandable language to something. We believe she's probably talking to an angel that God has sent to comfort her. He can understand the language, I believe, but we can't. But I believe it's comforting not only to my brother Leroy, but to her and the family as well. God promises angelic help. Now, an illustration of misuse of Scripture is found in Luke chapter 4. Scripture can be wrongly used, wrongly applied, twisted, applied in a way that it was never meant to be. In Luke chapter 4, we find Jesus being tempted by the devil, Verse 9, He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, or maybe since you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, because it is written. Now you see he's referring back to Psalm 91. It's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. In their hands they shall carry you up lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. So here they are in this high place of the temple, and the devil is telling Jesus, throw yourself down. The Bible says God's going to take care of you. So he was misusing God's promise here. And Jesus answering said to him, verse 12, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, that would have been tempting God to jump off, even though there's that promise. So you've got to take all the Scripture, not just one, and misapply it. And that's so important. All Scripture is inspired of the Lord. It's profitable. It's worthwhile. It teaches us. It corrects us. It helps us. It instructs us in how we should live our lives. Going then back to Psalm 90, Verse 13, you shall tread, walk on the lion and the adder, another bad snake. The young lion and the dragon you shall trample under feet. So we find verses 3 through 13, a great promise of protection for God's people, especially those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And I like the way it ends here, beginning in verse 14. Because... The psalmist says, we don't know for sure who wrote the psalm, whom God used. Some think perhaps it was Moses. He wrote the one right before. But at any rate, because he has set his love, God has set his love on me, the writer. Therefore, I will deliver him, says God. I will set him on high because he has known my name. So there's a wonderful promise of God. When we trust him, believe in him, commit our lives, we know him. Not just know about him, but we have a personal relationship to him. I believe that's why you're here today, because of that relationship that you have through faith in Jesus. He shall call on me, it says in verse 15, and I will answer him. Think about that. (laughs) We measly creatures, as it were, calling on God, eternal and almighty. And he's going to listen to us. That's what it says here. I will answer him. I will listen to him. I will be with him in trouble, it says. I will deliver him and honor him. What great forgiveness. What great exaltation God gives to us. We don't deserve it but he loves us, he forgives us, he lifts us on high. With long life, last verse, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Sunday, I came back from Big Sur and I understand there's another big fire there again, but 25% contained. At any rate, Sunday I came back, I shared with you how I'd read this psalm at Big Sur when we were celebrating our 65th anniversary, and how that last verse, what it said there, it dawned on me, that had been true in my life. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It dawned on me, that's been true in my life. God has done that. And I thank him for it. And many of you perhaps can join in and feel the same way. That is, if you think that you're old, like I think I am. <laughs> but sometimes we don't want to admit that. We like think of ourselves as young. At any rate, what a wonderful promise that is. A promise I believe God has fulfilled in my life. And he's given me a wonderful wife and a good family as well. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now as we've been going through this psalm of victory and security it's highly possible some of you have been thinking about a certain period in Israel's history and you've been associating it with this. I'm thinking of the Israelites captive in Egypt. What happened there? Well, the Egyptians and Pharaoh were against God, and God put terrible plagues and diseases and other bad things upon them. But when you read it real carefully, you discover that God's people, they were exempted. They didn't have to get these bad diseases in this thick darkness and They could offer a lamb or a goat and escape the slaying of the firstborn, the Passover. Lamb was killed instead. The blood was applied. And so we find a beautiful picture here of punishment upon those who are doing wrong and salvation and deliverance and protection for those who are God's chosen people. As I was thinking about this, it later occurred to me. Actually, I believe this Psalm 91 is totally, completely fulfilled in heaven. There we will not get sick. There we will be totally protected. We will be redeemed. We will live in the presence of God. Revelation chapter 21, it says in verse 4, what a beautiful way of putting it. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, (laughs) for the former things are passed away. And so I believe this psalm has its ultimate fulfillment, its complete and lasting fulfillment in heaven, in eternity, in being with the Lord throughout the ages, being with the Most High, being with the one who loves the most, who gave the most, who has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, all love. Would you say with me, this is a great psalm, a great psalm of protection, a great psalm of promise, a wonderful psalm pointing to, eventually, the complete fulfillment in eternity with Jesus. I hope Psalm 91 will become much more meaningful in your life, even as it's become more so in mine. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for this wonderful psalm, for the great promises which it gives us. We thank you for their ultimate fulfillments in eternity. How great you are. We praise you. We honor you. We would commit our lives anew and afresh to you. May we truly learn to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. In Jesus' name we pray and give you thanks. Amen.